Today's message is called, Been There, Done That, Bought the T-Shirt. You ever heard that saying? Maybe you've used it yourself. Have you ever really stopped to think about what that meaning really is saying? You know, I've said it before myself. Is that, you know, someone had asked me to do something, and, you know, well, I've been there before, I've done that, and uh, there's not a real big challenge. Uh, I can, can do, just disregard it. And so the thing is, I don't know exactly where that saying came from, but uh, this, when someone uses this phrase, it means that that person may feel that they have experienced all there is to know about something. Therefore, they become either ap- apathetic, uh, not caring about it, or they might even become reluctant to put themselves in that position again. And through the years, I've heard many people use that phrase, and they might be talking about a marriage or a relationship that is broken, say, oh, I've been there, I'm not going to do that again. Or maybe it's a job, a career that you thought, I, I remember myself, uh, my first job was in a peat shed. I've told you that probably many times before. But I can go ahead and tell you, I have no desire to be in a peat shed again because the area I was working in was the coal bin. Now, the coal bin was where the not-so-good peaches went, and you got the not-so-good peaches, and you got the best of those and then sold them at a discounted price. So there was a lot of squeezing peaches, if you know what I mean. And so I have no desire to go there. I've been there, done that, and bought the T-shirt. No more squeezing peaches. Or, or maybe we, we've purchased something. Well, I, yeah, I bought that and I saw it on TV for three easy payments of nine ninety nine. I had to have it, but I'll never buy something like that again. Been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Or maybe you've been involved in a school or a sports or, or organization or whatever it may be, and you think, yes, uh, it's time for me to move on and do something else. But unfortunately, sometimes we use the term, been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt to basically describe our spiritual walk. How sad is it to think that we have experienced all there is to know? Now, I don't think anybody in here would say, well, you know, I I believe that I've learned all that God has for me. But I will say this, I think a majority of you have come in here and not been expectant of God, not expected a blessing And I'm telling you what, do not lose the amazement and the wonder of who God is. And so it is my prayer that that you will see that there is more to life. I mean, most everybody in here, there's a few that haven't, but but most everybody in here at some point or time has been on the thing called the Internet, right? Uh, Or now they call it the cloud. And can you imagine getting on your computer and typing in something and it says, Boop, 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 and there's a big stop sign that says you have reached the end of the Internet. Is that even possible? Because it just goes on and on and on, and as great and as mighty as this thing called the Internet and the cloud is, it doesn't even hold a candle to what God has for you and to me today. And so it is my prayer that as we come to church is that we don't, be apathetic, that we don't think I've been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt. As we look through the pages of the Gospel of John, it is my prayer that you do not look at these passages as scriptures you've read before, because I guarantee you, most of us in here have read the book of John before. But do not let it pass you by. Do not let the blessing pass you by. Do not let your jaded hearts, your busy schedules, or maybe even your empty stomachs rob you or sidetrack your mind today from what God has for you. 
Because there is power found within these words. They are living and breathing words. And take heart today, folks, because know that every time we look at Jesus, we can have a new truth and we can be thankful for the fact that Jesus can identify with us. How do we know that Jesus can identify with us? Well, because he lived in this world just as we are living And the overarching theme that I am left with today as we study the scripture is that Jesus is the ultimate and unique example of God's unfailing love and his faithfulness. So as we jump into the scriptures, let's look at our first point for this morning that says, God, know that God allows you to see the unseen. Know that God allows you to see the unseen. And a little bit of this is going to overlap from from last week, but I promise you there will be some new stuff in here. As, As we read verse 14, it says, So the Word became flesh, or the Word became human, whatever your translation says, and it made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance we have received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. Has anyone in here seen God face to face before? The answer would be no, because if it were true, we would be dead. But it says here, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, talking about Jesus, is the one and only son and near to the father's heart. And he has revealed God to us. Why is it so important for us to preach Jesus? Why is it so important for us to share Jesus? Why is it more so important for us to live for Jesus and to pray to Jesus and to make Jesus the center of our life? Because when we see Jesus, we see God. God revealed himself to us. Through his son. So if we go back and we look at verse 14, I want to camp just a minute on the phrase that says, The word became flesh and made his home among us. Now, I'm a TV watcher. I like some TV and I like some movies and and I enjoy that that entertainment factor. And, And there are some shows that they use what's called a flashback. You know what a flashback is? Like they will show you present day what has happened, but then they'll flash back to some other time before that to see how you got there. And sometimes it's really powerful and sometimes it's really annoying because you, you kind of lose track of where you're at and what year you're in. But, but it's a, a great tool for the, the storyteller to use flashbacks. I'd like for us to take just a, a small flashback this morning as we look at the story that John is writing for us about Jesus being the Son of God. And uh, in this f- flashback, I want us to go back to the time when a man named Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Not only did God command Moses to do that, but he was with Moses and with the Israelites 
when they were in the wilderness. It says that God's glory was with the Israelites in the wilderness via something called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was basically a mobile temple where they could do their worship and they could make their sacrifices and they could make the atonement of their sin. The tabernacle for them in the wilderness was their means of worshiping God. Folks, they couldn't just sit down around a fire and have a Bible study because the Holy Spirit hasn't been sent yet. They couldn't just sit down and pray to Jesus because their Messiah hadn't come yet. If they wanted to be absolved of their sins, they would have to set up this elaborate portable temple and they would have to get the priest to intercede for them and they would have to sacrifice. It was a portable structure system that moved around with them everywhere they went. And it says here that God would dwell with them when the tabernacle was set up. It was basically God's mobile home. And then here we go back to verse 14. It says, Jesus made his home among us. This is a throwback to what happened in the wilderness with the Israelites. And what's crazy, scholars say that if you take up, you know, they were traveling for 40 years. But if you add up the times where they were stationary and they were worshiping in the temple or the tabernacle uh, that they were they were port- they were porting around. It added up to of the 40 years, about 33 years of those of that time in the wilderness was spent in worship in the tabernacle. Does that sound familiar? I hope it does, because when Jesus was crucified, he was 33 years old. Just as God dwelled among the Israelites in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle system, Jesus has dwelt among us. We don't have to erect a tabernacle and carry him from town to town. We can get on our knees and we can pray to him right where we are. Jesus made his home among us. And as we see them walking in the wilderness, we see that the wilderness signified the lost world that we're in. When you look at the pattern of the Israelites wandering for 40 years, you can see that they were blinded. Let me show you a picture, and hopefully you can see this. This is a rough sketch of their journey for 40 years. And you can see they, they started up at the top near Goshen, and they came down for the first leg, they go down through Sinai. Of course, we know at Mount Sinai, that's where they received the Ten Commandments. And they go back up where the water is. Then they're up in the middle. Then on the third track, notice what they do. It's a circle. There was a man in charge of this. Moses refused to ask for directions. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that his wife said, you need to stop and ask somebody. But no. And, and if you look, look, it, it, number two and number three intersect. So at some point, could someone not have said, hey, we've been here before? Isn't that a, a terrible feeling when you're lost and you take all these different roads and you end up at the same place you were a minute ago? And so anyway, you see in the third leg that they were going round and around. And then in the fourth, they finally make it up to Jerusalem in that, in that purple line up top. But folks, for 40 years, is there any doubt that they were blinded? That they were in the wilderness and they had... Only thing they had to guide them was what? A pillar of fire at night and a pillar of clouds during the daytime. They were in a lost world. They were lost 
Jesus himself was born into a lost world. And we see here that the tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp. The Levites, they were the, the priests of the Israelites, and they were charged with basically the preachers, what I'm doing. I mean, they, they were charged with not only would they preach, to, but they would intercede for people. They would go into the Holy of Holies and risk their lives to uh, atone for the sins of the people that they were representing. And so God told them to put the tabernacle in the center of the camp and everybody else camp out around it. Folks, Jesus is our gathering center. He is the center of our lives and the center of our camp. And he's not just a part of our life. I hope for you and for me that Jesus is not just somebody we talk about on Sundays, but he's every part of our life. And then this one, uh, I mean, it really just, it, it, uh, I, I get excited about that. So if I go through the roof, I, I apologize. But uh, we see that the tabernacle is where one would find mercy in the Old Testament. The tabernacle is where one would find mercy in the Old Testament. Now, let me put a picture up here. Uh, this is a, a rendering of what the ark might have looked like. And you can you go from the biblical descriptions of what God told them to do to transport it. But basically, you have the poles that the priests would carry. And then you have inside of that box, we have a gold jar of myrrh. No, no excuse me, not myrrh, but manna. A gold jar of manna. What's significant about manna? That's how God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. Also, in that box, there is not a copy of, not a facsimile of, but the two stone tablets that have the Ten Commandments carved on them. Now, it is the second set of them because the first set Moses broke when he came down and saw all the shenanigans that his people had gotten into while he was away. But in there you have the Ten Commandments. You have the myrrh. I mean, excuse me, the manna. And then you see these cherubims up at the top with the angels' wings. It is believed that at the top of that, where those wings are, that's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And then what would happen is, is that after the sacrifices were made for the sins of people, the priests would go into the Holy of Holies and they would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. And they, would, they called the presence in there, there was a cloud around the ark. They called it, basically, it's not really a biblical term, but the rabbis ended up using this. And, and to describe it, they called it the Shekinah glory. A visible symbol of God being with them. The word, uh, it actually, as I said, has never been used in the Bible, but it means he caused to dwell. He caused to dwell. As Israelites escaped Egypt for their freedom, God appeared in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What does this mean? It means God is leading the Israelites, God is protecting the Israelites, and God is literally with the Israelites. Folks, as God was seated on the mercy seat and he gave out mercy to man, through the worship in the Old Testament, when the blood of the atonement was sprinkled, thanks to Jesus Christ, we never have to have the mercy seat again because mercy is given us 
through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're no longer sprinkling it on the ark, but the blood that flowed down from the cross, the base of the cross, it pulled at the bottom of Jesus' feet. That blood is what screams, give them mercy. That is why we can be excited that Jesus came and he dwelled among us. It says that God revealed his glory to us through Jesus Christ. Romans 3.25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice. He calls the word propitiation. In other words, the payment or the replacement for our sin. It says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times of the past. Also, God reveals his heart through his son, Jesus Christ. If you go back and look at John 1.14, the second half of that verse, it says, Jesus was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We see that in verse 18 it says, No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. For the first time through Jesus, God feels the pain that we feel. The first time through Jesus Christ, we can walk through the earth with people walked with God because Jesus was with them. And also, Jesus gives us an example to follow. God showed his love for us through the sacrifice of his son. Isn't it amazing to know that God would submit to death? And Jesus was also one of a kind. It says in here, he was unique. God's grace and favor has been given to you and I, even though there is nothing that you have done or that I have done to deserve it. Folks, no other religious leader that has ever existed or ever has been concocted by any kind of cult or false religion can compare to Jesus Christ. Every other religious figure is either still alive or dead. Jesus is the only one that was dead and is now alive. Amen. He was once dead, but now he is alive. We know God because we know Jesus. And we know Jesus because we know God. It even says in this passage, we can get to know God's heart by studying Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt distant from God? Has God become for you a religious duty and a checklist of things that you need to do to not feel guilty about things? Does God hold before you an impossible standard to meet? Well, I got news for you. If that's you, that's not God. It's not about us trying to reach up to God and receive his pleasure. It's about him reaching down to us and receiving us as we are. And if you feel distant from Jesus today, he's not the one that's moved. What do you do in that situation? Well, number one, look into the eyes of Jesus today. Number two, read how he interacted with others. Number three, reacquaint yourself with the heart of Jesus. Because it is there, at that point, you will find the heart of God. And remember, Jesus is not a one-and-done religious activity. 
It's all about a relationship. The second thing we see is that we need to remember that John is worthy. No, excuse me, not John, but remember Jesus is worthy of your devotion. Jesus is worthy of your devotion. We see in verse 24, it says, Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, talking about John, If you are the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Through his ministry, though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Folks, what I want you to see here is that Jesus threatens the establishment. Jesus threatens the establishment. Why do you think they wanted to get prayer out of schools? Why do you think they want to get the Ten Commandments out of our public buildings? Why do you think they want the churches to have their worship services inside their walls and shut up when they come out of them? Because Jesus upsets the establishment, not only for the world we live in, but those who are religious rather than focusing on a relationship. Because here, John, as he's writing this, he's talking about the concerns that the Pharisees had because John's ministry was drawing crowds. There were people following John, and John's whole message was, it's not me, but thee. There's a guy coming, I'm telling you about, you got to be ready for him. And so these Pharisees were actually a sect called the, the Essenes. And they were like uh, monastic, kind of like monks, serious Pharisees. And so when they baptized, it was always for purification rituals. And anybody that was baptized in their faith meant that they were converting from whatever they were in to Judaism. And so now they had this Yahoo that's wearing camel hair and eating honey and locusts. And he's out there baptizing people. The, the, the literal translation would be, dude, who do you think you are? And he's baptizing them. And he's showing them what is to come. I'll tell you this much. The establishment will always question the works that do not fit into their preferences when there is a power shift. You want to see where the true power is in an organization, whether it be a church or a building or an organization, a company or a family. You want to see where the power is? Start making a change. You'll see it'll come out really fast, just like John did with these Pharisees. They were asking him, dude, who are you? But what we see here, we can learn by John's example. Folks, people in this world will try to put you in a box. They will attempt to discredit you. They will attempt to disregard you. But know what John knows, that you are not Jesus, but your mission is to point to him. So what does that mean for you and I today? Let me show you this. If you live for yourself, all you will have is yourself. And if you live for Jesus, all you will have is Jesus. And I wanted to change that to say, if you live for Jesus, all you will need is Jesus. Think about this. You ever heard of the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins? I got a question for you. What do you win? 
Everybody has the same destination, whether it be in a crypt or in the ground or in an urn or parts unknown. We live and we die. And we will, there will not be a U-Haul going with us. And I think of the hope that people do not have when their whole life is based on their efforts. That's why Jesus came. He said, I know you can't do it alone. That's why I am here. So if you're trying to hold on to your life and your control, and it's all about what you can do for yourself, let me encourage you to let go of that idea, because at the end, all you will have is yourself. But if you live for Jesus, all you will have is Jesus. And that sounds really preachy, but what does that mean? That means when you wake up in the morning, it's not, what do I need to do for myself today? But would you be bold enough to pray this? God, what do you want me to do for you today? Jesus, how can I represent you today? And I promise you, if you say that little brave prayer, he will show you. The third thing we see is that we need to always be grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made. We need to always be grateful for the sacrifice that Jesus made. It says the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. After these thousands of years, John is the one that's saying to the Jews, Behold, here is your long-awaited Messiah. And they said, Nah, he's not cool enough. He's not attractive enough. He doesn't say what we want him to say. He doesn't come from royalty. He has no earthly power. We'll pass. We'll wait for the better one. Folks, John had the privilege of introducing Jesus Christ and said, Behold, here is the Lamb of God. And the the term the Lamb of God is very popular in all four Gospels. What is so significant when John says, Behold the Lamb of God. I would question you or encourage you to put yourself in the mindset of the Jews of that day that John was talking to. In the Old Testament, when they had sacrifices, they were always looking for a lamb. When they would have the Passover festival... Every family would have to sacrifice a lamb for the sins of their family. One time a year, everybody, because we know what the Passover was back when the death angel would go over and if you painted the blood on your door jam that the uh, the Israelite or the Hebrews at that time they were enslaved, they would the death angel would pass over them. And that's what finally, that was the straw that broke the camel's back for Pharaoh to let his people go. And so they celebrate that every year with the Passover. And they would take a lamb as a family. Now, when I say take a lamb, they wouldn't just go out to, to Walmart and go to the lamb section and say, yeah, I'll take that one. 
Matter of fact, that's what they were doing in the, the New Testament, in the temple, when Jesus cleared house. He said, don't give me that, that halfway worship. If you're going to sacrifice, you're going to take this animal, you're going to take this lamb, and you're going to make him, you're going to bring him into the house, and you're going to make him a pet for your family. Your children are going to cry when you kill it. And it's going to mean something to you, because if not, it's not a sacrifice. Do not take the sacrifice of blood lightly, is what he was saying to the Jews. And so they would bring those lambs once a year. And then even in the temple that was running 24-7, they would kill two lambs a day in their procedures and in their worship. A man bringing a sacrifice to another man to appease for sins. Let me give you one more flashback, okay? Genesis 22-7. Abraham and Isaac. Isaac spoke to his father, Daddy. Daddy. Abraham said, My father. And he replied, Here am I, my son, Isaac said. The fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? If you're not familiar with that story, go back to Genesis 22 and read that. Because God knew that he would not have all of Abraham unless he had Isaac. And he told him, Abraham told Isaac, I want you to sacrifice your son. Has God ever told you to sacrifice something? You said, God, you can have everything but that. If you said that, that's exactly what he wants. And as Abraham has got that knife raised in his hand, he's saying, God, where is the lamb? In the New Testament, John tells us, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Never lose the weight of that. Never take that for granted. It's not about being at church and being on time and paying your tithes, and and having a good attendance. Those things are great, but it's not about those things. It's not about keeping up an appearance, or what you wear, or how many we have in worship, or how many we have in Bible study. Those things are important, but we are here to worship Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world that has died so that you can be forgiven. Never lose the weight of that. It's not been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. You are a child of the king. Blood bought. A price was paid so that you could be one with God. Also we see is that the, the gospel is illustrated before all of them. John demonstrates the gospel. In his baptism of Jesus, it says in John 1, verses 32 through 34, Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from the heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know that he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on the one 
is who you will baptize with holy, the Holy Spirit. And I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. And he baptizes Jesus. What is so significant about that? You'll hear the preachers like me, they'll talk about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. What is the gospel? It can be seen in a baptism. We see it in the baptism of Jesus, or you can see it right in that pool behind me. Or we can go out to Broadway Lake and I can show you the same example. Or we can go to your bathtub. If you can't get out of your house, we'll put a a tub of water in there and we'll make it work. But by immersion, John showed through Jesus Christ that he was dead. And that he rose again to new life. That is the gospel shown in the baptism of Jesus. That is why we as Baptists got our name. I got news for you. The term Baptist is not, oh, I'm Southern Baptist. And pull pull your your, uh, suspenders out and, and bow your chest out and be all proud. I got news for you. The term Baptist was a derogatory comment. There was blood spilled because people believed that you have to baptize by immersion. Why? Because Jesus was baptized by immersion. Some of your forefathers and foremothers, is that what you would say? Men and women before you, some even gave their lives as missionaries so that we could do what we believe is the biblical form of baptism. And that's by immersion. And John showed us that by his baptizing Jesus. Then we see that a dove ascended or descended down to Jesus, which symbolized Jesus as their Savior, bringing peace to mankind. No longer would man be separated from God. Jesus' life and blood would be the bridge to bring you And me, or you and I, back to God. That is the bridge. I was talking with uh, Andrew as we were walking in. They live out in Williamston, out in God's country, right? And uh, they've had a, a terrible accident. The bridge that goes over 29 going into Williamston, somebody ran up under it. So you can't drive under it? And you can't go over it. It's, it's done. There is no bridge. And there are people in Williamson going, well, how am I going to get to Walmart? And there are people in Anderson going, how am I going to get to Greenville? Because the bridge is broken. They don't know when it's going to be fixed. But can you imagine what it was like before Jesus Christ? What's going to happen to me when I die? Have I sacrificed enough lambs have i gone to enough pass um, um, how many passovers do you need to go to get heaven have i been faithful enough for god to save me and jesus says don't worry all about that don't worry about any of that the bridge has been repaired my life my blood my choice your benefit No longer would man be separated from God, but his blood would bridge the gap to bring us back to God. I just, you know, the, the sermon title was Been There, Done That, and Bought the T-Shirt. And that is basically a statement of apathy. 
I don't care. Whatever you want. Not my job. All those kind of statements. Let me just tell you this. Hasn't your apathy taken enough from you today? Hasn't your apathy taken enough from you today? Whether this be the first day that you see Christ as your Savior and Lord, or whether it's the millionth day. Never forget nor take lightly what he has done for you. He came into this world. He gave you an example. He gave you a Savior. And he gave you a choice. Don't let your apathy rob you of the joy of serving Jesus and sharing the gospel story. You see, we need to see Jesus as approachable and one who understands what you're going through. He is more than a religious construct. He is real. And he knows what you're going through. And and I'll close with this illustration. There's a difference between Knowing what somebody goes through and experiencing what somebody is going through. And I'll close with this. I remember when I first started dating Donna. Oh, those days. We're still dating, aren't we, honey? Look at her grin. But I'll never forget, her dad passed away when she was 12. So one of our second or third dates, she took me out to... um, Why am I going blank on that place? Forest Lawn, yeah. I mean, golly, we pass it just about all the time and been there. So we go out to Forest Lawn, and and I can take you to where his grave is. And and it was always very sweet because Christmases, Father's Day, birthday, we go out and she'll put flowers on the grave, and and I'll see her. She'll she'll sweetly uh, sweep off some of the the grass and stubble that's on there, and and take care of the of the flowers. And I honestly. I I understood why she did that. But after December 14th, I felt it. And I'm not saying this to get sympathy for myself because that's the last thing that I want to do from this pulpit. But I will tell you this. Jesus not only knows what you're going through, He felt it. That's the Jesus that I want to love. That's the Jesus that I want to worship. And that's the Jesus that I want to serve. Would you join me in serving Him, whether it be for the first time or the hundredth time? If you want to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and have a Savior that knows exactly how you feel, you can pray to receive Him this very morning. You can come down to the front and I'll pray with you while others are praying with you. Or we can do it some other time. But please do not leave this place without knowing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Or if you've had that, been there, done that mentality, I pray that if nothing else, you have felt the weight of His love today through John chapter 1. God, thank you for this service. If there's someone here today that has finally given up the fight and says, I'm surrendering to you, Lord. I'm tired of living on my own. And I get it for the first time of why I need you in my life. Because I've tried it on my own. 
and it's been nothing but messed up. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ today, when people stand, don't wait, don't look around, just come. People will celebrate with you. If you don't want to go by yourself, grab somebody's hand. They'll come with you. Or if you'd like to join this church or have prayer at the altar or prayer with me, you respond as God leads. And God will give you glory. For it's in your name we pray. Would you please stand?